Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, July, what is the day? 27th, 2010. Sometimes you lose track. It's easy for me to do. Bizarre program today. You don't want to miss it. Well, sometimes if you if I warn you that it's a bizarre program, then you do you do want to miss it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. In a very real way, we are documenting, documenting and chronicling the slow-motion train crash of uh, of Christianity in the uh, in the Western uh, in Western civilization uh, here in the United States and abroad, where Christianity uh, is basically uh, exploding, imploding, uh, not exploding, it's imploding. It's uh, men who really don't believe the Christian faith, men who uh, who doubt the Bible's claims, who don't understand how the kingdom of God advances. I've come up with their own clever ideas, their own clever methodologies, and are promoting them as if they're biblical Christianity, and they're not. And as a result of it, all kinds of really bizarre, silly, and stupid things are happening in Christianity, and we chronicle that. And the reason why we do so is so that you can understand light from darkness, truth from error, uh, sound doctrine from false doctrine, because uh, when somebody stands up and in a church and is giving a sermon, there is an aura and an air about them that they are somehow a man or woman of God. Uh, women should not be in the pulpit, by the way. Uh, but they have this air that they are uh, men and women of God when, in fact, much of what they're teaching contradicts God's word. And so sometimes people are just lazy. Sometimes they're intimidated by the idea of daring to critique somebody and saying, wait a second, that's not what God's word says or that's not what God wants us to know. And sometimes they just don't know. I mean, there's different reasons. And so what we do is we take the mystique off it. Everybody, including myself, gets to be judged by the word of God. Everything that is being taught on this program, uh, ultimately God's word stands in judgment over it. And the things that I say in the name of God, uh, if they don't square with the word of God, you're to reject. You're not to believe them. And those things that do square with the word of God and do correctly reflect what God has revealed in his word, then they are binding, authoritative, not because I said them. 
they were binding and authoritative long before I was born because God's word is true and it's eternal and it doesn't change. And the truths revealed in his word were there before Roseboro entered the scene and they'll be there long after I uh, leave the scene uh, because unless Christ comes back in my lifetime, you know, I've got a date with death and uh, this carcass of mine, as overweight as it is, it, it's going to wear out and I'm going to die. Same with you. And so uh, God's word is binding and true. And uh, the church is given to proclaim that truth and not other stuff. So, you know, there's a big rebellion going on inside of the church. And uh, we uh, hope to be a, a biblical counterpoint. We seek to be a biblical counterweight to what's going on in the church. Because right now it's basically a, a rebellious free-for-all. And, you know, well, we work from the idea that God's word is true and the way you handle rebellious free-for-alls is to proclaim the truth and let God the Holy Spirit do what God the Holy Spirit does, just plain and simple. Uh, (laughs) By way of a heads up, talking about what we're going to talk about today on the program, uh, let's begin by first talking about uh, what you're uh, giving you a preview of what's coming in the sermon review today. I'm going to be reviewing in hour number two today a sermon entitled Imagination from Westside Church in uh, Bend, Oregon. And uh, the sermon itself uh, begins with a nice, beautiful mandolin rendition of um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Uh, Here's a preview. Isn't that beautiful? This makes me want to cry. Just haunting, isn't it? Yeah, this is part of the sermon that we're going to be reviewing today. We have that to look forward to today in the sermon review, and we also, believe it or not, if that isn't enough for you, uh, somewhere over the rainbow, if that's not enough for you uh, for a sermon, well, if you've been dying to hear the uh, the Gummy Bear song, yeah, it, it gets mentioned in the uh, sermon uh, today, too, and if you're not familiar with the Gummy Bear song, here's a preview of that. Oh, I'm a gummy bear, yes, I'm a gummy bear, oh, I'm a Yeah, there you go. That, that'll that just destroy your brain right there. So today's sermon, I mean, talk about monumental. I mean, not only we have Somewhere Over the Rainbow and the Gummy Bear song. Um, by the way, the sermon is about imagination. Yeah, and, and how imagination fuels your dreams. So you don't want to miss that today in hour number two of fighting for the f- gummy bear I, I i just i never have really considered the uh, um the connections between uh, somewhere over the rainbow and the gummy bear song and how they play out in our christian faith but we'll be listening to uh, jason mayer's uh, <clears throat> uh sermon today where he tries to tie all that in 
Uh, as for the rest of the program today, uh, let's talk about what we're going to be talking about. Let's see here. I want to talk about the uh, Benny Hinn Paula White scandal. Uh, you know the uh, the National Enquirer, which isn't always known for um, how do I put it? Uh, let's just say the most accurate of reporting. Although um, well, the one thing I do know about the National Enquirer is is that they've been sued in the past. Is you know that. Uh, uh, keep this in mind is, is that the National Enquirer would not go to press with a story that was chock full of lies uh, if they didn't believe that they could back up the claims made in it. And in times when they haven't been able to back up the claims, the National Enquirer has been sued for uh, libel. Uh, is it, yeah, I think libel's the written version. Slander is the verbal uh, and they've lost. And so, you know, like any other company, they need to remain profitable. So keep that in mind as we uh, – I'm going to talk a little bit about the Paula White scandal and kind of my take on it. If you follow me on uh, Facebook and Twitter, then you you might have already got a, at least a, a foretaste of what it is that I, I think is kind of the issue here. And uh, as promised yesterday, we didn't talk about the uh, the Christian Post story where Lutherans are seeking forgiveness for persecution of Anabaptists. And then uh, this uh, kind of a sleeper uh, thing written by Terry Mattingly called Shocking Words for Presbyterians. Going to get to that today. And then we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, the headline reads, Lawsuit Claims College Ordered Student to Alter Religious Views on Homosexuality or Be Dismissed. Now, we've uh, we've covered stories like this in the past. And uh, and the unique thing about this story is is that this one's in the United States. This isn't in Great Britain. This is in the U.S. This is in Georgia. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, today. And of course, like I've said, our sermon reviews on uh, in on a sermon entitled "Imagination." It features "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" as well as the Gummy Bear song. Yeah, I just can't make stuff up anymore. I mean, what's the point of even trying to come up with a Marty Python Flying Circus Church when, you know, churches just parody themselves? I should just play sound bites from my sermon reviews and, you know, and just call that Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, with that, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper. Okay, let's see. Uh, the name of this is um, yeah, <laughs> Benny Hinn and Paula White in uh, Torrid Affair. Yeah, this is uh, – well, let's see here. Let's talk about how this has been handled uh, in, the, uh, in the media. Uh, uh, Tampa Bay Online has uh, – they've, they're covering it as far as the fact that Paula White and Benny Hinn have denied the report of them having an affair. Now, keep in mind – uh, Paula White has had two divorces. She's uh, she's uh, she's been divorced for a little bit of time now on her second divorce, and uh, Benny Hinn is in the middle of uh, you know his divorce. His wife filed divorce on him a few months ago, and it you know takes a while for all that to uh, to work its way through the um, through the courts there in California. And uh, as a result of it, the, what you know, the, the, I mean, that's kind of something to keep in mind in this story. But I don't think. First of all, both of them have both Paula White and Benny Hinn have denied that they're having an affair, and uh, the Tampa Bay Online has uh, has covered that. But I think that's kind of like not the big story here. I mean, keep this in mind, Benny Hinn. I know this as somebody who's watched how Benny Hinn's attorneys um, 
behave uh, over the years. I've watched uh, Benny Hinn, uh, his attorneys, go after everybody who has dared to post a YouTube video that features any footage of Benny Hinn saying something outrageous, uh, heretical, or doing something that's bizarre or whatever. In fact, uh, let's just say that Benny Hinn uh, pays his attorneys good money, good, good money, to uh, keep his image squeaky clean on the Internet and to root out anybody who would dare document his false teaching, especially on YouTube. And those, I mean, I've seen people on YouTube who've lost their entire accounts, their entire YouTube accounts, uh, because of terms of service uh, violations. And, uh, and, uh, you know, they, those, those videos have been pulled despite the fact that I would basically make the claim that those people, uh, clearly were within the realm of fair use when it came to, uh, the footage that they were documenting, uh, the false doctrine of Benny Hinn. So, I mean, Benny Hinn goes out of his way to keep his image squeaky clean. So, that being the case, over the weekend, um, the, um, the National Enquirer, uh, put out a, uh, basically a, um, an article showing photographs of Benny Hinn and uh, and Paula White in Rome, in Rome, holding hands together, and the headline basically read that they were having a torrid affair. and um, And there's more to the story than just the photographs, but I mean that's kind of the uh, the idea of what's going on here. And uh, yesterday, uh, Benny Hinn and Paula White, both of them officially issued statements denying the report of the the affair and um and what's really interesting is that um uh you know internet bad boy and blogger Ken Silva of apprising.org um noted how Benny Hinn's denial went up and then mysteriously disappeared from the internet it just poof went go went away went bye-bye and um and so he was able to uh dig into the internet archives on Google and to pull that page that had been ripped down by um uh in fact if you were to go to Benny Hinn's website right now you cannot find uh his denial of the affair. And uh, but uh, the good news is is that uh you know uh Ken Silva was able to take screenshots of that particular missing web page and post them back up on the internet so so that people you know can see that he's officially denied the affair but what's really interesting is is, is the statements made by Benny Hen in this denial let me read uh from the now ripped down from the internet uh denial of the, uh his affair with uh, Paula White Benny Hinn writes it says to my precious partner, as you may be aware, the National Enquirer recently released a dishonest and misleading article which falsely characterized my friendship with Paula White. The, the, the publication, which is known for its bias against religious figures, misleads readers regarding the ministerial friendship I have had with Paula White for over 20 years. Well, I mean, that, if that's the case, Benny, please file suit against the National Enquirer. Uh, you know, sue them for liable, uh, for libel. I mean, what they've done is obviously just terrible. They've mischaracterized your relationship with uh, Paula White. So sue them, please, and clear your name up. I mean, because, of course, it's, it's just ludicrous to think that you've had an affair um, with Paula White, right? 
Well, let me continue with the story. So, as you know, my wife, Suzanne, filed for divorce at the beginning of this year. If it were not for the comfort of the precious Holy Spirit and the Word of God to give me encouragement through this process, I cannot imagine how I could have survived the last five months. Throughout this season, your love and prayers have helped strengthen me to continue ministering around the world. Were it not for your faithfulness in the presence of my wonderful Lord Jesus, the loneliness of carrying this burden by myself would have been unbearable. In late May of this year, Paula White came to tape a This Is Your Day broadcast with me. Although I I had not seen her for years, she was an encouragement to me and shared helpful advice out of her own painful experience. As a result, I will not deny that my friendship has strengthened. And while it has remained morally pure at all times, I have enjoyed the company of of someone who has also gone through the trauma of a painful and public divorce. But most of you know me personally and know that I have faithfully preached the gospel for over 35 years. (coughs) 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 Sorry, something just got caught in my throat. (coughs) Yeah, I... That was bizarre. That was kind of weird. <clears throat> Let me see if I can read that sentence again. Benny Hinn writes, he says, Most of you know that I have faithfully preached the gospel for over 35 <coughs> years. <laughs> something it's like a hairball or something is caught in my throat. Maybe it's one of those spiritual feathers. I have no idea. <clears throat> no, he has not preached the gospel faithfully for 35 years. For 35 years, Benny Hinn has been the greatest showman and con artist uh, to basically fleece the flock and uh, and Christians for the last 35 years. I mean, his heresies are, I mean, let me put it this way. If Benny Hinn were a criminal, okay, just, just work with me here for a second. If he, if he had been arrested and was known to be a criminal, uh, he, would, he would have a rap sheet about as long as, uh, well, as tall as the Empire State Building. When it comes to Benny Hinn's heresies, his rap sheet is so long. I mean, it's like not even worth it anymore because people don't care. And see, here's the deal, is that um, this whole Benny Hinn story, uh, this this affair that he's allegedly had with uh, Paula White, um, this is the thing that's, that's getting people to go, oh, oh, no, Pastor Benny, he's, he... Oh no, he's succumbed to, to, to temptation. <laughs> and this is the thing that's getting people's attention. He, <clears throat> folks, Benny Hinn should have been disqualified from the ministry from 35 years ago when he started telling these tall tales and false doctrines, uh, that, that he, that his ministry is completely marked with for the past 35 years, there have been full-blown documentaries showing that he doesn't heal nobody and that he keeps people who are truly sick and in need of healing away from the stage at his healing ministries because he doesn't heal nobody, nor does the Holy Spirit. But he makes $200 million a year. He has a parsonage overlooking the Pacific Ocean down in Laguna Niguel. I've seen it. Parsonage. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, seriously, this this whole affair scandal is like the least of our worries when it comes to Benny Hinn. If anything, this is not the fire that proves that there's you – know, this is not the smoke that proves that there's been a fire the entire time. No, I mean, the smoke was the his false teaching for 35 years. 
Why has the Christian church put up with this man, yet alone supported him to the tune of $200 million a year? Okay, let me read this again. Most of you know me personally. You know that I have faithfully preached the gospel for over 35 years. <clears throat> Sorry. And I've never failed. I've, I have never failed my marriage vows. It would never dishonor the precious name of Jesus, whom I adore with all my being. Liar. And I never will. What I mean by liar is this, he, he, he has completely dishonored the precious name of Jesus through his false doctrine for 35 years. And as I have often said, I would rather die than bring dishonor to his name. Okay, now this is where it gets fun. And so I'm writing to tell you today that I forcefully, categorically, and absolutely renounce the lies that have been spread about me and want to set the record straight with you. There is nothing inappropriate or morally improper about my friendship with Paula White. Now, which which kind of leads to the question of, okay, so how is it that the National Enquirer got photographs of you and Paula White holding hands together in Rome? And the story, apparently, there's a little bit more to it than just the photographs that, you know, the, the, the story alleges that they were staying together. And of course, if they weren't, then, you know, please sue the uh, National Enquirer. <clears throat> Benny has says Benny says there has been no immorality whatsoever. The article also indicated that on a recent trip to Italy we met secretly and that we stayed together. This could not be further from the truth, and is absolutely false. The truth is that we listen to this. Okay, so they didn't secretly stay together. They didn't. He says that's a lie. So here's the truth. Are you ready? This this truth is really just. <laughs> <clears throat> Here's the truth. Okay, Benny Hinn, the truth according to Benny Hinn. <clears throat> the truth is that we traveled independently to the region of Italy for respective ministry duties. I was invited by the Vatican, by Vatican officials to visit the Vatican and to discuss future ministry opportunities there. Paula was likewise Invited to have meetings in the region, and although we spent time together, we were never alone and were in the constant company of staff and family members. Okay, so, <clears throat> all right, so see if I got this straight. The National Enquirer takes photographs of Benny Hinn and Paula White together holding hands in Rome, and the truth is, is that they never, no, no, that, that was, you know, there's nothing wrong going on there. No, no, no. They, that's, they've been, they've been slandered. They've been libeled. You know, they, they've been lied about. But the truth is that the Vatican, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, independently, unbeknownst to either of them, they were both invited separately to meetings with Vatican officials you know, the Roman Catholic Church, to discuss future ministry events and opportunities. Um, so in other words, the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, thinks that God the Holy Spirit is really working through the ministry of Benny Hinn and wants to work with Benny Hinn and Paula White in future ministry opportunities, um, uh, events, you know, maybe uh, uh, 
Ratzinger and uh, and Benny Hinn, they they could probably you know do a healing service together. You know, because Pope Benedict and and you know and his theology and um, the theology of Benny Hinn, I mean, those two that they just dovetail together. You know, so the truth is that the Vatican is seeking to do ministry events with Benny Hinn and Paula White. And they, the Vatican invited both of them to Rome, coincidentally at the same time, to you know, lay out these advanced plans for these, uh, these co-ministry events that Paula White and Benny Hinn are supposed to be doing with the Roman Catholic Church. Are you buying that? Maybe this is the reason why this particular denial ended up getting pulled off the Internet, because I can just see Vatican officials going, what? I mean, it makes me want to call the Vatican and say, um, can, uh, uh, can we talk to somebody there and uh, get information about the future ministry events that the Vatican plans on holding and doing in conjunction with and in partnership with Benny Hinn and Paula White? I mean, seriously. I mean, this would be like me basically saying, yeah, you know, uh, Todd Bentley, you know, of the uh, Lakeland Revival, he's been advanced conversations with Matt Harrison, the the president-elect of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and... uh, and um, Todd Bentley and Matt Harrison are, you know, really thinking about partnering together to to put together a Lutheran uh, glory uh, service, complete with uh, uh, g- glitter, gold dust, feathers, and um, and the drunken glory. It's it's this is not going to happen. Let me continue. Uh, let, let me see here. The article indicated that on a recent trip to Italy, we met secretly, stayed together. This could not be further from the truth and is absolutely false. But the truth is we traveled independently to Rome for respective ministry duties. I was invited by Vatican officials to visit the Vatican to discuss future ministry opportunities there. Notwithstanding, I have become increasingly aware that the optics, that would be the um, photographs of this friendship, have caused others to draw conclusions that are complete and unfounded. And because of my preeminent priority to my ministry and calling, Paul and I have concluded that we should avoid the appearance that our friendship is biblically impure or violate scripture in any way. Paul and I also recognize that being seen in such settings is unwise, and we have independently determined that we will have no further social relationships until such a time as my divorce has concluded, and only if we feel direction from the Lord to do so. So basically... yeah. <laughs> Let me translate this for you. So here's the deal. Uh, we will not appear in public together again until the ink is signed on, on and the divorce is official. And then after that, we'll let the world know that we're a thing. By the way, did I mention the fact that this particular statement um, that appeared on Benny Hinn's website has mysteriously vanished? Again, what's the issue here? Why has the church put up with this guy for 35 years when he doesn't preach the biblical gospel, when he's a complete charlatan and con man, and his false doctrine rap sheet is as as long as as the uh, Empire State Building is high? No, it takes a sex scandal. That's the surefire way of proving that 
somebody is not from God because they they you know they they they're, they're potentially involved in and hanky panky, and that that proves that the spirit's not with somebody. Oh, forget about false doctrine. I mean, that's just a matter of opinion. Right. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Good in the sack is not the measure of true Christian sanctification. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Chicago, 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. I see emergent people. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. They don't see the truth. They only see what they want to believe. How often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so. And the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR or call them 
at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, if you pay attention to someone's doctrine, then you don't need to wait for a sex scandal before you can say that's not Christian. Just saying. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com and when you get there you'll see two friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew when you join our crew you're signing up to automatically contribute six dollars 95 cents every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio and of course if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute you can do so by clicking on the donate button and there you can fill it out for a one-time uh, you know, f- contribution, you can do that, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Moving along on today's um, news here, uh, the story I didn't get to yesterday from the Friday edition of the Christian Post. Headline reads, Lutherans seek forgiveness for persecution of Anab- Anabaptists by Joshua Goldberg. By the way, if you have a copy of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, or the, which would be the Book of Concord, uh, then if you've read through the Confessions of the Lutheran Church, then you'll notice that Anabaptists show up from time to time and that we take Anabaptists to task uh, in, in our confessions regarding some of the false doctrine that they've taught historically and uh, claim that uh, some of their theology is just absolutely contradicted by the clear teachings of the Word of God. So um, keep in mind, for uh, for somebody who is a Lutheran, um, our confessions make it clear that uh, we reject many of their doctrines, many of their teachings, and we do so on biblical grounds. It's with that historical note that I read this story by Joshua Goldberg. The 11th Assembly of the Lutheran World, Federa- <clears throat> Lutheran World Federation, oh man, a bunch of liberal Lutherans, Uh, They approved a statement on Thursday calling on Lutherans to express their regret and sorrow for past actions against Anabaptists and asking for forgiveness. You know what this reminds me of? I mean, I mean, seriously, what this reminds me of is, you know, liberals who get together and 
wring their hands and go, <laughs> we, we, we've come together to apologize to African Americans for slavery in the United States. I mean, it just, it sounds so pious and so, oh, wow, they really care. It, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The reason why it's ridiculous is, first of all, I wasn't alive when the United States uh, had slavery as as legal. So if I were to go and apologize for slavery, I mean, a lot of good that would do. I, I mean, seriously, it would, it would basically make a whole bunch of people go, oh, wow, yeah, wow, he cares. See how humble he is and how it's a show. I mean, so here we've got um, uh, <clears throat> the uh, Bishop Mark Hansen of the Lutheran World Federation and the ELCA wringing his hands. Oh, we're we're here to we want you Lutherans to express regret and sorrow <laughs> for past actions against Anabaptists and ask for their forgiveness. <laughs> What have I done against Anna? What what have I personally done, or my the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, or any of the Lutherans that I associate? What have they personally done uh, in persecuting Anabaptists that crosses the line into sin for which they need to repent and ask for forgiveness of? Hmm. Bishop Mark Hansen, president of the Lutheran World Federation, described the move as the most significant legacy. That will be left by the assembly, the Federation's highest decision-making body. Quote, we will not look back. We will also look towards uh, towards together to God's promised future, he added. In, in the statement entitled, Action on the Legacy of the Lutheran Persecution of Anabaptists, the assembly repented for violent persecution of Anabaptists and for the ways in which Lutheran reformers supported persecutions with theological arguments. Ah, so here we go. Those of you who are confessional Lutherans and you have agreed with the confessions of the Lutheran Church and you've agreed with the statements in there that certain doctrines held by Anabaptists to be contrary to the Word of God, you are now, those theological arguments, well, you are guilty of persecuting Anabaptists. That's right. You are now those theological arguments against the doctrines of Anabaptists now amount to, well, outright persecution. And you need to repent and ask the Anabaptists to forgive you for daring to come up with theological arguments based on the word of God that their doctrines were wrong and not in accord with sound doctrine. That is the epitome now of persecution. <clears throat> Should I point out the obvious self-refuting point of all of this here? And that is, is that um, by making a statement that I need to repent for the theological arguments that I subscribe to that, con that basically claim that certain Anabaptist doctrines are contrary to the word of God, by making the claim that I need to repent, the folks of the Lutheran World Federation have made a theological argument that I am biblically in error and therefore need to repent of my error. 
So in other words, there if well, if coming up with a theological argument is the epitome of what it means to persecute somebody, the um, Lutheran World Federation, well, they're persecuting me. Are they going to repent and ask me for forgiveness for coming up with a theological argument saying that I need to for- repent and ask for forgiveness for believing and promoting certain doctrinal and theological arguments that make it clear that certain doctrines of Anabaptist teaching are contrary to the Word of God? Isn't that what they're doing? They're, they're, this is a theological argument, isn't this? This is a Lutheran body. They have put together an action statement, the action on the legacy of Lutheran persecution of Anabaptists, which in a sense is now persecuting me, a confessional Lutheran, by coming up with theological arguments against what I believe, teach, and confess. Yeah, see, that's the problem. I mean, I wish we would go back to the days where basically people were man enough to say, listen, I've got a theological position. You have a theological position. Let's roll up our sleeves, open up the word of God, and let's duke it out. Let's have a real debate about what God's word says. Instead, these weasels, and that's what they are, these weasels, these liberal jellyfish, spineless, absolutely more, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth because God loves everybody so much. They don't even have the guts to admit that they're coming up with a theological argument and are, in a sense, basically persecuting, using their own language, People who have a contrary view to them and they're calling to them to repentance. But they, they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or hurt their self-esteem. So what we've got to do is we've got to come up with a way that you, we, 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 we're sorry for persecuting you Anabaptists through <laughs> theological arguments. <laughs> we're sorry. Oh, give, oh man. These people just make me sick. Seriously. Grow up and man up. If you disagree with the position, then have the guts to come forward with it honestly and say, we think God's word says this and you're in error because you've done that. Let's discuss it. Seriously. What has happened? There's like no men in the church anymore. The statement asks for forgiveness from God and from our Mennonite sisters and brothers for past wrongdoings and the ways in which Lutherans subsequently forgot or ignored this persecution, theological persecution, and have continued to describe Anabaptists in misleading and damaging ways. In response to the statement, the Reverend Dr. Danisa DeLuvo, president of the Mennonite World Conference, delivered an emotion-filled address to the assembly, confessing that Mennonites were painfully aware of their own inadequacy. In a symbolic act of reconciliation and servanthood, uh, Naduvo presented Hansen with a wooden foot-washing tub, saying that it represented the Mennonite commitment to a future when the distinguishing mark of Lutheran and Anabaptist relationships is boundless love and unfailing service. I'll listen to this one. It is in our vulnerability to one another that God's miraculous transforming and reconciling presence is made visible to the world, he stated. In accepting the gift, Hansen said, quote, In this and so many other ways, we will continue to follow the Mennonite example. And in this significant way in our life, there may be no more public example of reconciliation. 
So, uh, Hanson, you basically threw confessional Lutherans under the bus, and you're now persecuting them, saying that they have to repent for believing that Anabaptists are wrong theologically, and that somehow pointing out the fact that their teaching is contradicted by God's word, that that equals persecution. Yeah, that's persecution now. So, yeah, it's this is just uh, just absolutely drives me. By the way, um, I will. Um, I'm going to publicly make this clear. I am not repenting, nor will I ask for forgiveness to any Anabaptists or Mennonites for claiming on the grounds that God's word clearly teaches that their doctrine and theology is contradicted by what God's word says. I will continue to point that out and subscribe to the Lutheran confessions unapologetically and call Anabaptists and Mennonite to repentance for their false doctrine and false teaching. So there, that makes me feel a lot better. Moving along. Oh, man. Shocking words to Presbyterians, uh, written by uh, uh, Terry Mattingly of uh, GetReligion.org. This one's a little bit of a sleeper, and I I find this this is well-written. This is from DecaturDaily.com. And, again, it's shocking words for Presbyterians. Anyone who attends one of the National Church Assemblies that dot the calendar every summer knows that they are highly ritualized affairs. Officers will be elected. At least one long business session will include a proposal about clergy benefits and salaries. In recent decades, gatherings in the Seven Sisters of Mainline Protestantism have also, to varying degrees, featured battles over sex. These flocks are, in descending order of size, the United Methodist Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopal Church, the American Baptist Churches USA, the United Church of Christ, and the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. But as the hours pass, veterans know that they can take breaks whenever the word greeting appears in the agenda, marking a polite mini-speech by a visiting civic leader or religious dignitary. But something unusual happened recently during the 219th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, USA. An official ecumenical advisory delegate, Father Sahare Hardon, I'm torturing his name and I apologize, of the Orthodox Church of Belarus, used his moment at the podium to deliver a message that was courteous, and stunning at the same time, if not genuinely offensive to many in the audience. Frankly, quote, frankly, he was uh, pretty sly about what he said and how he said it, noted the Reverend Carmen S. Fowler, president of the Conservative Presbyterian Lay Committee. Quote, people are used to dozing off during these greetings, so this caught them off guard. Most of the General Assembly yawned its way through the most provocative moment in the entire event. Speaking in clear but careful English, Hardin thanked the Presbyterians for the economic aid that helped Orthodox churches in his land rebuild social ministries after decades of bloody communist persecution. Only 20 years ago, he noted, there were 370 parishes left, and today there are more than 1,500. He thanked the assembly for its kindness and its hospitality. However, the Orthodox priest ended by offering his take on the assembly's debate as it prepared for another attempt to modernize Christian doctrines on sexuality. I think the correct term, though, Terry, would be postmodernized Christian doctrines. Shortly before his greeting, 
the commissioners voted 373 to 323 to approve for the fifth time in two decades the ordination of non-celibate gays and lesbians. Regional presbyteries must now approve the measure, which is the, uh, which is at the stage at previous efforts were defeated by increasingly smaller margins. Quote, Christian morality is as old as Christianity itself. It doesn't need to be invented now. Those attempts to invent new morality look for me like attempts to invent a new religion, a sort of modern paganism, said Hardin, drawing scattered applause. Yeah, it, it, that's interesting. I mean, just listen to listen to what Hardin said. I mean, it's so subtle, and yet it's explosive. <clears throat> Christian morality is as old as Christianity itself. It doesn't need to be invented now. Those attempts to invent new morality look for me like attempts to invent a new religion. A sort of modern paganism, said Hardin, drawing scattered applause. When people say that they are led and guided by the Holy Spirit to do it, I wonder if it is the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible. If it is the same Holy Spirit that inspires the Holy Orthodox Church not to change anything in Christian doctrine and moral standards, but if it is the same Spirit, I wonder if there are different spirits acting in different denominations and inspiring them to develop in different directions and to create different theologies and different morals. The priest closed with a quote from St. Paul urging the Presbyterians, quote, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Later in that business day, a slim 51% of the assembly voted to defeat a proposal to redefine marriage as a holy covenant between two people rather than one between a man and a woman. General Assembly moderator Cynthia Bullock, an outspoken advocate of the gay rights measures, offered no comment whatsoever about Hardin's remarks when he left the podium, but quickly moved on to other business. However, before her election, she urged her church not to fear the repercussions of an era of change. The denomination has lost half of its members since the 1960s. We have to learn how to proclaim the gospel in a multicultural age where Christianity is no longer at the center, she said. We have to learn how to tell people who have grown suspicious of institutions why an institution like the PCUSA can be of value to them. And we have to accept the loss of the church we have always known as the church transforms itself into something new. Yeah, something new, all right. Something pagan. I think Hardin had it right. Christianity is as old as Christianity itself. It doesn't need to be invented now. Those attempts to invent new morality look for me look to me like attempts to invent a new religion, a sort of modern paganism. And it's not the Holy Spirit that's inspiring these changes. It's a different spirit. Okay. Last story from foxnews.com. <clears throat> Headline reads, Lawsuit claims college ordered student to alter religious views on homosexuality or be dismissed. A graduate student in Georgia is suing her university after she was told she must undergo a remediation program due to her beliefs on homosexuality and transgendered persons. The student, Jennifer Keaton, who's 24, has been pursuing a master's degree in school counseling at Augusta State University 
since 2009. But school officials have informed her that she'll be dismissed from the program unless she alters, quote, her central religious beliefs on human nature and conduct, according to a civil complaint filed last week. Augusta State University faculty have promised to expel Ms. Keaton from the graduate counselor education program, not because of poor academic showing or demonstrated deficiencies in clinical performance, but simply because she has communicated both inside and outside the classroom that she holds to Christian ethical convictions on matters of human sexuality and gender identity. The 43-page lawsuit reads... Keaton, according to the lawsuit, was informed by school officials in late May that she would be asked to take part in a remediation plan due to faculty concerns regarding her beliefs pertaining to to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender issues. Quote, the faculty identifies Miss Keaton's views as indicative of her improper professional disposition to persons of such populations, the lawsuit reads. The remediation plan, according to the lawsuit, noted Keaton's disagreement in several class discussions and in written assignments with the gay and lesbian lifestyle, as well as Keaton's beliefs that those lifestyles are cases of identity confusion. If Keaton fails to complete the plan, including additional reading and writings of papers describing the impact on her beliefs, she will be expelled from the counselor education program, the lawsuit claims. Keaton has stated that she believes sexual behavior is the result of accountable personal choice rather than an inevitability deriving from deterministic forces, according to the suit. Quote, she has affirmed binary male-female gender with one to the other being fixed in each person at their creation and not a social construct for individual choice subject to alteration by the person so created. The lawsuit reads, quote, further, she has expressed her view that homosexuality is a lifestyle, not a state of being. In a statement to Fox News, Augusta State University officials declined to comment specifically on the litigation, but said the university does not discriminate on the basis of students' morals, religious, political, or personal views or beliefs. Well, really, if that's the case, then you need to let the woman pass, don't you think? Uh, the quote, the counselor education program is grounded in the core principles of the American Counseling Association and the American School Counselor Association, which defines the roles and responsibilities of professional counselors in its code of ethics. The statement read, quote, the code is included in the curriculum of counseling education program, which states that counselors in training have the same responsibility as professional counselors to understand and follow the ACA code of ethics. David French, senior counselor to, at the Alliance Defense Fund, which filed the lawsuit against Augusta State University on Keaton's behalf, said no university has the right to force a citizen to change their beliefs on any topic. The university has told Jennifer Keaton that if she doesn't change her beliefs, she can't stay in the program. He told FoxNews.com, quote, she won't even have a chance to counsel any students. She won't even have a chance to get a counseling dis degree. She will be expelled. And on top of it, she'll still have to pay her student loans, too. Keaton, who is not available for interviews, according to French, believes that people have moral choices regarding their sexuality. He said, quote, a student has a right to express their point of view in and out of class without fear or censorship or expulsion, French said. I couldn't agree more. Folks, this is a clear example in the United States of somebody being persecuted for their religious beliefs 
And at this point, what will, will this persecution lead to? Her expulsion from a program that she has academically performed well in and has met all the requirements. And the only she's being singled out because Christianity teaches that homosexuality is sinful behavior that is a choice and is accountable to God. Our prayers go out to Jennifer Keaton as well as to the United States. May her lawsuit prevail. I get the feeling this one might go all the way to the Supreme Court if it isn't settled out of court. Okay, we're up on our second break. We're getting ready to do our sermon review. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud 9 Living. 
Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't think I have heard in a long time a worse case of eisegesis than what you're about to hear. Oh, man. All right, let's cue up the sermon review music. good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is entitled Imagination. Oh, man. The uh, pastor preaching it is a guy by the name of Jason Murr. M-Y-H-R-E. This is from Westside Church, Bend, Oregon. I, I This is apparently something based upon the text from the gospel account of blind Bartimaeus. I had no idea that this was a text about imagination. And the way we got to this concept that the story of Blind Bartimaeus is somehow about imagination, well, um, Jason here um, uses his imagination to put things into the biblical text that just aren't there. Yeah, this is reading in. It's uh, into the text. It's called Eisegesis. This is not what you're supposed to do as a pastor. In fact, if uh, you are you or your pastor are engaging in Eisegesis, you need to cut that out. You're supposed to read out what the text says. The text is really about Christ. It's not about your imagination. All right, let me kill the music here. So without any further ado, here is uh, Jason Murr, Westside Church, Bend, Oregon, Imagination. By the way, did I mention this? the sermon begins with a mandolin version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Yeah, I may have mentioned that. <clears throat> Here we go. How do I respond? This is the last song in the praise set, apparently, before the 
sermon. Kind of the train version of this. Everyone put your hands in the air. See if you can feel the Holy Spirit up there somewhere. If you're not feeling the Holy Spirit, reach higher. This is being sung in a church. You know, I, you know, if they're going to be doing songs from uh, the Wizard of Oz, I, you know, I know what's coming, and uh, I personally think that this is the. I could while away. The this is the song they should have been singing. With the flower, consultant with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle. For any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. Oh, I could tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thought before. And then I'd sit and think some more. I would not be just a nothing, my head all full of stuffing, my heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry, life would be a ding a dairy if I only had a brain. All right, keep that uh, song in mind as we proceed with the sermon. we got to finish out, though, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, because this is part of the sermon. Dreams really do come true. Yes, dreams come true. Come on, start swaying back and forth. Reach higher if you're not feeling the Holy Spirit. Get those arms up in the air. I'm sure the Holy Spirit is up there somewhere. If you're feeling feathers falling, then you've probably found him. Or maybe that's Swift, the prosperity angel. I, I, I get all confused. Me,
I'm just not feeling the spirit. I, I must not be spiritual. Yeah, that's the opening for the sermon, Imagination, there at uh, <clears throat> Westside Church, Bend, Oregon. Yeah, I'm not sure what that has anything to do with the Word of God, but um, <clears throat> there it was. This way, the forest. And now a movie clip uh, from an Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy movie. That's a big, beautiful cave we're in, huh? No, it's tiny. Can't you see? Okay, my eyes are just adjusting still. Jump, Daddy, jump! Jump, Mama, jump! Jump, Daddy, jump! Okay. Okay, right. Now we're out. Okay, well, what was I in? France. When I was in France? Now we're on the beach. Okay, we're on the beach now. All right, great. Is it a nice beach here? Uh-huh. Only because mermaids give us a popcorn ball. I just want to let you know this uh, movie clip is not found in the Bible. Just If you were confused and you think that you know this Eddie Mur- Murphy movie is part of some biblical plot by Hollywood to force Christianity down your throat. Well, no, that's not it. Oh, that's so nice. How many of you guys have seen that movie? It's Imagine That with Eddie Murphy. Okay, who has kids? Well, if you have kids, you need to go see that movie. So it's a great movie. Uh, my name's Jason Meyer. I'm a pastor here at the church. Um, I'm not a regular speaker. And how do I define not a regular speaker? This is my first weekend speaking, so that's, uh, that defines me as not a regular speaker. But don't, don't worry, because I spoke last night and today at 8 o'clock, so I'm very polished. I'm like an expert now. Um, but I, uh, my, my job here, I'm Patrick here, like I said, and uh, I oversee the weekend services, so like kind of the creative side. We're called the innovation department, and so we do all the creative things uh, for you. So all the comment cards that get filled out in the service, they usually come to me first. And so if you have any constructive criticism about this message, uh, put your name and address so I know which house to TP. So I will, I will track you down. But, Don't worry, I'll be sending you an email uh, with a link, Jason. But today we're going uh, to talk about imagination as being the, the fuel that uh, feeds our dreams. What? <laughs> oh, man. I've heard the sermon already, and I... Still, the the <laughs> really this is a biblical um, doctrine. This is found where in the Bible again? Imagination is the fuel that feeds our dreams. Really, that's what Jesus was all about, huh? Imagination. 
Yeah, because, you know, it's all about your dreams and your imagination. And, boy, by the way, Jason here, probably some of the most imaginative work I've ever seen done when it comes to uh, handling and tackling a biblical text. So imaginative is his uh, handling of this imagination topic that he sees things in the biblical text that aren't there. He just imagines that they are. And, uh, you know, he practices what he preaches. You have to give him credit for that. Uh, Here we go. And uh, we're going to start today by being just a little interactive. And I want you guys to uh, yell out what it is you wanted to be when you grew up or grow up. Oh, I wanted to be a heresy hunter. A doctor. Veterinarian. What was that? A chef. Teacher. Astronaut. There we go. Nurse. Still don't know. I love, <laughs> love the honesty. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you're actually doing what you dreamed you were going to be doing. That's amazing. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. And what we're going to do is we're going to use a story in the Bible to kind of help us along our way. And if you have the, the Bible in the back there is on page. Use a story in the Bible is the right way of putting it. Using. He's misusing it. He's going to be completely abusing and misusing this Bible passage. Again, we're, we pay close attention. This is probably one of the most uh, egregious uh, forms of eisegesis I have ever seen. But then again, it is a sermon about imagination. So, again, we got to give jason credit because uh, he's going to be practicing what he preaches and using his imagination to see things in the text that aren't there page 703 it's uh, mark chapter 10 and we're going to look at verse uh, 46 through 52 this is the story of uh, bartimaeus the uh, the blind beggar outside of jericho and every time i read this story i've read it I don't know how many times, a lot, the last couple of weeks, but I've read it a lot in the past, and every time I read it, something else jumps out at me. But uh, starting on uh, verse, I lost my place here, verse 46, they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together, together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of the Nazareth, He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. <clears throat> Let's take a look at Bartimaeus here. Here he's, uh, he's blind and he's a beggar. Chances are back then if you were blind, begging was probably going to be what your profession was. Uh, back then if, if you had blindness, it was probably viewed as some sort of sin that you had in your life or your family had in your life that that uh, caused your blindness. And so chances are he wasn't going to be in a, a position of authority, a position of respect in that, in that time. Um, wasn't going to probably be a fisherman or a shepherd. 
I hear blind shepherds are notorious bad shepherds. So he wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be a shepherd. But uh, so he's, he's sitting there, he's blind, he's sitting outside of Jericho. It's where people are coming in and out. And that's where he and probably a lot of other uh, people that are blind and sick and, and, and need food and, and just would be there begging. So let's, let's leave Bartimaeus on the roadside, uh, blind and begging for a second. And let's look at Jesus. What has Jesus done up to this point? Jesus has uh, fed 5,000 people. He's fed 4,000 people. He's uh, delivered a lot of people from, from bondage. Uh, and he's uh, walked on water. That's kind of cool. Uh, but he's also healed a lot of people. And so I imagine that word has gotten out about this Jesus guy that uh, he does a lot of cool things and has helped a lot of people. And so I imagine at that moment when Bartimaeus sits and hears about Jesus, something's stirring in him. He's thinking, man, if Jesus was around, he could heal my blindness. So I bet I could be somebody. I <clears throat> uh, just wanted to point out here... What you've just witnessed uh, via your ears is um, him sticking something into the text that wasn't there. I, I just thought I would put a bell there to uh, to let you know that that's what just occurred. Let, let me. It happened so fast you may have missed it, but don't worry. You know I am a trained professional. I, I know how to spot these things. Listen again. And so I imagine at that moment when Bartimaeus, you see, when he said, "I imagine at that moment," you see, he was using his imagination to put something into the text that, well, isn't there. <clears throat> this is called eisegesis. Sits and hears about Jesus, something's stirring in him. He's thinking, man, if Jesus was around, he could heal my blindness. I bet I could be somebody. I wouldn't be sitting here begging. I could probably be somebody. And he's probably, stuff's probably starting to fire up inside of him. Yeah, his imagination's running wild, I'm sure. Because you're using your imagination to divine the thoughts of blind Bartimaeus, um, which aren't recorded for us in the text. Hmm. That he probably hadn't uh, imagined for a long time. Because I bet as a kid, he probably did have an imagination. I I'm sure he did. Um, but then again, let's see, this is another example of Jesus. Yeah, see, his. I'm sure as a child, he probably did have an imagination, but... That's really not at all what's going on here in this text. But I'm glad that you're practicing what you're preaching. I mean, you're giving us a fine example here of imagination in action. But you're not supposed to be handling God's word using your imagination. You're supposed to be focusing in on what the text says and proclaiming to us the mind of God as it's recorded for us in Scripture, not your own imagination. I bet when he was born, if he was born blind, he probably imagined, oh, I wonder what trees are like. I wonder what... Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yes, yes. Imagination, yes. I wonder what the sun uh, looks like, because I can feel its warmth. I... I'm sure he imagined what el what do elephants look like, and do uh, lions have bad breath after they eat a zebra? I'm sure these were all very important imaginative thoughts on the top of blind Bartimaeus's mind when he was a child. But, but then again, <clears throat> unfortunately, sadly for all of us, all of the thoughts and imaginations of blind Bartimaeus have been lost to history because the important biblical texts that contain these important imaginations, um, well, they're, they're all now lost. Yeah, they've been destroyed in the deserts of Judea.
lost in the sands of time. Unfortunately, we will never be able to reconstruct the imaginative thoughts of Line Bartimaeus. Yes, I, I know history has suffered a huge loss here. I mean, our lives are just going to be emptier as a result of losing these imaginative thoughts of blind Bartimaeus. And, and maybe we should stop and say a prayer and lament the loss of these imaginations. Um, that being the case, we can never con- correctly reconstruct them. And Jason, maybe you should stop trying to do that. I wonder, I wonder what the stars look like. Everybody says, oh, it's a starry night. Um, but now he's gotten to the point where he's on the side begging. And I bet that imagination of, of the trees is now, boy, I, I don't want to run into those things. And, and the sun, boy, that just doesn't feel too good. And I don't really want to think about the stars because that means the night. And night probably wasn't a good thing. Um, Again, he's trying to reconstruct something that is completely lost to us in history for for him just because of what would happen around him so his imagination has has probably gone so now he hears about this jesus guy but now jesus is in jericho oh boy he wow yeah that's deep man he is he's kind of getting fired up this jesus guy is in jericho he is just I, i think the imagination is is really starting to stir uh, there we go again. Um, yeah, he's just inserted something into the text. <sighs> Another example of eisegesis here. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is walking by him. And I think at this point, it's like probably somebody just shoved a epinephrine needle in his chest and his heart just started racing. Jesus is walking by. And so- uh, I just want to let you know they did not have epinephrine needles back then. Um yeah, it's true. I I've, I double-checked this on Wikipedia. Epinephrine needles did not exist in the time of Jesus. It, yeah. So he yells out, well, not really yelling, but he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then what happens? The people rebuked him. They told him, hey, be quiet, beggar, you need to know your place. And I wonder how often some of us in here, if that's the point where we stopped our imagination. Right. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, I, I just, as you were saying that, I felt my imagination run dry. I mean, it was it was just like a river during the spring rainy season, seconds before you said that. And then as soon as you mentioned it, I tell you, it just dried up like, you know, uh, a a small creek in the Sahara Desert in the middle of July. Just. Yeah, just gone. Yeah, man, terrible. I do do you think Jesus died so that my imagination can start flowing again? Uh, I'm very concerned. What if my imagination gets stuck in this uh, dry like state? I mean, my whole life may not even be worth living anymore. There's a, how many of you guys saw the Winter Olympics? Oh, quite a few. The rest of you, you guys need to watch a lot more TV. <laughs> really, I mean, I've spent a whole day watching TV and I got a headache afterwards, and I think because my brain was growing. I'm pretty sure that's why. It... No, 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 no. That, uh, no. The, when you watch lots of TV, that doesn't cause your brain to grow. It's the opposite. Yeah. You, you may have been overexposed. You may not want to go see a doctor about that. It was, but uh, 
in uh, at the winter and winter olympics during the opening ceremonies there was a song that uh, Joni Mitchell sang and it's called uh, both sides now and the, the first verse of the song goes uh, bows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere i've looked at clouds that way <laughs> oh that's just beautiful what's the oh, what <laughs> huh Sounds like somebody dropped acid and played Candyland. Come on. This isn't biblical. And then the second verse goes, but now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in the way. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Let's go. I, I need some cricket music because I, I need some you know the, uh, I need to find a cricket sound that I can play but because that's all I'm hearing right now is chirp 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 like huh? Sometimes I'll I'll be outside with my kids and I have four young kids they're like ten and under and so as you can imagine my house is very quiet and uh, clean. Um, <laughs> But uh, we'll walk outside sometimes, and usually my daughters will, will be the ones, and they'll look up in the sky. Oh, Daddy, look, there's a, there's a bunny rabbit. And it'll take me a little while to, to kind of find the bunny rabbit. But then over time, if I look hard enough and spend enough time, I can kind of start seeing what she's seeing. My imagination starts going, and it, and it kind of gets frees up. Frees up. And theirs is always there. They can always walk outside and see things. But I imagine for Bartimaeus that that, uh, that time between the first verse and the second here we go again. I imagine that time. It's like, what? Yeah, more. He's he uh, got to back this up just a little bit here. Um, yeah, I want you to hear this. I, I imagine that between and that was kind of the key words there. Going and it, and it kind of get frees up, frees up. And there, theirs is always there. They can always walk outside and see things. But I imagine for Bartimaeus that that uh, that time between the first verse and the second verse probably probably started a lot quicker than what it did for a lot of us here. Yeah, see, he's kind of imagining stuff that's in between the verses. So this is an exege exegetical study on the stuff that's between the invisible words between the first verse and the second verse of the story that he read. You need your Superman spectacles to see those, by the way. Yeah, it's true. If you, if you don't have Superman uh, special Bible glasses, you can't read those words between the verses. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if some of you in here can actually pinpoint the point between the first verse and the second verse in your life. I wonder yeah. Whew. Yeah, I've been trying to do that for a long time. I've been trying to pinpoint, you know, where in my life, you know, the transition, you know, the stuff that's written in between the first verse and the second verse, you know, when that really started happening. What in, uh, man, this is ridiculous. I wonder if you guys can pinpoint when you stopped seeing castles and dragons and butterflies up in the sky and you started seeing the, the clouds as dark, rainy, bringing snow, what we've experienced over the last few months of just being depressed. Um, um, am I sinning if I stop looking at the clouds as big fluffy bunnies and bears and 
pink elephants and things like that. And now, you know, actually go to the Weather Channel website and try to figure out if there's a real rainstorm or snowstorm or blizzard heading my way. Yeah, apparently this is bad. If if you look up in the sky and you don't see fluffy animals and and imaginative little whimsical things, and apparently you may be sinning and you're not godly, but don't worry because the story of blind Bartimaeus is going to help you reignite your imagination. Pressing. I mean, that's really, I just wonder if, if you guys can pinpoint that. I actually had a guy uh, last night come up to me and say, I know exactly when it was that the first verse ended and the second verse started in my life. And I think Bartimaeus, it started pretty young. But wow, yeah, for Bartimaeus, that just happened. It's terrible. <sighs> Poor Bartimaeus. All he saw was bad weather events, and he wasn't even able to see fluffy animals. Oh, Now, Jesus is walking by him, and he yells out, and the first thing that happens is people rebuke him and tell him to be quiet. And we all have had that in our lives at some point, but it's what we did with it that mattered. Oh, you can't be an artist. How are you gonna? How are you gonna make a decent wage being an artist? You can't change careers now. You're way too old to change careers now. Uh, what? So people were telling blind Bartimaeus that he couldn't be an artist, and he wasn't able to use his imagination to have his dreams realized. Um, something I've noticed, um, this is just not, I, I hope this isn't too politically incorrect, but, um, folks who actual, actually suffer from blindness, I've noticed that they have a tough time drawing and painting. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. You can't be a model on the front of a romance novel because you don't have enough hair. I don't, that was a friend of mine. It wasn't me. But, uh, but at what point at what point did somebody say that stuff to you, and then you just said, you know what, you're right. <laughs> you know, you're so right. I mean, ever since I gained weight and, I, and, I, and I'm overweight, no one ever asks me to model on the front of a romance novel. It's all the offers that were coming in before have just stopped. They've dried up. Don't you understand that fat, white, overweight, white guys like me, we, we, we have romance desires too. Why is it that always the muscle-bound guys, and the ones who go to the gym and and the knuckleheads who have all those big muscles? How come well, they're the one? They're the only ones who get to model it on those romance novels. <laughs> this is terrible. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I should just live the life that I'm expected to live. I should just. I, I need to get back to reality. But see, Bartimaeus didn't let that happen to him. He didn't let these, what I call boneheads, I was actually waiting to see how they were going to sign boneheads. He doesn't, he's not going to show me. <laughs> how do you do bonehead? Awesome. Boneheads. I love it. Yeah, in case you don't know what he's doing there, they have somebody, you know, doing sign language interpretation for those who can't hear. And yeah, he wanted to see the sign language sign for bonehead. Um... But I wonder, he didn't, he didn't let that stop him. 
He pushed through that. And then what happened is he yelled, Son of David, have mercy on me. He pushed through that. He wasn't going to let them happen. And then two things happened. First thing happened is uh, Jesus stopped and he, and he said, call him. And here's what's interesting about this. Two things happened at that point when Jesus said, call him. It was like Barnabas just went from a zero to a hero. People, The people that were rebuking him and telling him to be quiet, now all of a sudden saying, hey, cheer up. He's calling you. It was like the coach just made Bartimaeus a starting quarterback. He is now. Really, that he just got made starting quarterback. Uh, yeah. Now Mr. Popular, and everybody is wanting to jump on his dream. Well, Bartimaeus. What? Oh, man. Hang on. Yeah, we just heard, heard another complete sticking something into the text again you got to give him credit he practices what he preaches when it comes to imagination he's calling you it was like the coach just made Bartimaeus a starting quarterback he is now Mr. Popular and everybody is wanting to jump on his dream well yeah because everybody you know they, at this point they realize that blind Bartimaeus all of his dreams are going to come true Somewhere over the rainbow, yeah, dreams really do come true. Yeah, that's what that was about. Bartimaeus could have been pretty resentful at this. And I think that at some point Bartimaeus could have said, hey, hold on, hold on a second, Jesus, i got to prove a point here. Uh, yeah, again, here we go, eisegeting, sticking stuff in the text that just ain't there. Um, I really should be playing this song. Yeah, I should be doing, no, you should not be doing this. Uh, um, Mr. Innovation, Mr. Imagination, Mr. Jason uh, Meyer, um, you need to, uh, get out of the pulpit. You should never enter the pulpit again, unless of course you go and spend four years, uh, doing remedial, uh, basic Greek, Hebrew, and hermeneutics at a respected, um, seminary, preferably, you know, Concordia Theological Fort Wayne, um, and, and, and you take classes that properly teach you hermeneutics and how to properly exegete God's word. You're so bad at this that you're actually harming people and uh, you need to get out of the pulpit. Never, ever let them let you preach again until you've actually been trained to handle God's word properly because you've demonstrated that you are not capable of wielding the sword of, of the word of God without wounding people with it. And then go back to these guys, oh, sure, you want to be my friend now. But you know what? He wasn't going to waste his time with that. You know, a lot of times we can be that. We can be that resentful when we're trying to follow a dream and we have people pushing us down. And then the moment that dream's going to happen and people try to jump on the bandwagon, that just is a hurdle for us. And we want to spend our time trying to prove a point with them. Yeah, I have no idea where this came from. Apparently from Jason's imagination. But with Bartimaeus, that wasn't... Uh, what it was. He, he had a dream. He had a, enough imagination that was fueling his dream. So he went up to... Uh, uh, he had enough imagination. He had a dream and he had enough imagination that was fueling his dream. <clears throat> just going to just spend a little bit of time examining the text here, making sure that maybe I didn't miss something. I mean, I mean, maybe this is all about um, blind Bartimaeus's imagination and I had no idea. Hang on, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 46, they came to Jericho, got it, he was leaving, this is Jesus, he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, 
uh, with uh, and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. No mention of dreams or imagination here. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Great prayer, by the way. This is a great prayer for all of us to have. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing about imagination, but man, all about Jesus having mercy on him. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, that's a beautiful prayer. Jesus answers the prayer. It says, And Jesus stopped and call, said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. It's a beautiful story of Jesus healing somebody. And, you know, I got to give Jason credit because, you know, back in those days, it's true that if you suffered from blindness, one of the assumptions of those uh, of of the religious folk at that time was that, well, the reason why you suffer blindness is because either you or your parents sinned or somebody like that. We learned that from uh, from the Gospel of John. So there's something to that. And here. So here's this guy who's blind, who many suspect "Mm, there's some sin going on here. That's why he's blind. And he's sitting on the side of the road begging. That's what he's been reduced to. That's that's his way of living. And it's a perfectly respectable way to live back then. Um, and he wants to see. He wants to be made well. And his prayer to Jesus, it's repeated twice. Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, you don't have to be physically blind to pray that prayer. That's almost a tacit confession of sin. It's not even tacit. It, I mean, it's just, it, that's, that's practically a confession of sins. Come to Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy. Have mercy. Be merciful. Be kind to me, a poor, sinful beggar. You see, in a very real way, all of us are blind Bartimaeus because by nature we are born dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually blind in the darkness. And Jesus comes and he is the light and he opens our eyes and makes it so that we can see. Son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, there's so much that can be done with this text if you would just turn your imagination off and let the text speak. Let God's word speak. This is about mercy. This is about forgiveness. This is about healing. This is about a powerful Savior who has mercy and opens the eyes of the blind 
both those who are spiritually blind and physically blind. He did it because Bartimaeus didn't have imagination. It doesn't say that. It says, go your way, your faith has made you well. It didn't say your imagination has made you well, but your faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ has made you well, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus has truly had mercy on you. Hmm. Again, so much you can do with the text if you just let it speak. But uh, Jason here is, um, well, he's looking for fuzzy animals in the sky rather than a merciful Jesus. And walked through that and wasn't resentful. But then the second thing that happened was, is that uh, Jesus didn't go to Bartimaeus. He made Bartimaeus come to him. Now, here's a blind guy that Jesus probably, I don't know if how far he was away, but now he's going to make the blind guy walk to him. And I wonder if some of our imagination or our dreams that are being filled right now, um, Jesus is asking us to take just a few blind steps to something much better. What is he talking about? I just, this is just, you know, hang on. Yeah, I know. It's, give him a break. I mean... Apparently, he doesn't know how to handle God's word. you got to give him an E for effort, I'm sure. But boy, is this off. I mean, seriously. Jason, you've got to be kidding me. That's what you're getting out of this text is that in order for us to be able to have our imaginations and our dreams realize that Jesus is asking us to take a few blind steps. Yeah, again, this is all eisegesis, which is illegal. It's a, it's a misuse and twisting of God's word. A lot of times we don't want to do that. We're like, hey, Jesus, it'd be great if you could just give me this manual, show me exactly what I'm going to do, show me all the pitfalls that are ahead of me so I can work around that. But Jesus said, call him. And I almost think that he just kind of smiled when he said that, because I believe he heard Bartimaeus the first time. I'm sure Jesus' senses were a little bit stronger than ours, and I'm sure his hearing was pretty good. And I'm pretty sure that he heard Bartimaeus the first time, but he pushed him to ask again and i think that he just smiled at that time and said nothing mentioned about the smile i mean that's some good imagination you got there jason yeah great you got highly tuned imagination skills yeah but they're not needed here when you're actually preaching from the text and yeah you, you turn the imagination off and you exegete what the text says that call him so then bartimaeus walks up to jesus and this is what this is what happens, and I like to call this the, the genie in the bottle part of the story. Bartimaeus walks up to Jesus, and what does Jesus say? What can I do for you? Now, I have to imagine, if I'm in that crowd, I'm probably... Here we go again. He's using his imagination. Yeah, there's some... I have to imagine. I have to imagine. I. Man... Are thinking, you know, Jesus probably isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. Obvious this guy's blind. He's been begging, so I pretty much, I don't have to be Jesus, but I can guess what he wants. And Bartimaeus probably at that point thought, boy, these stories that I heard of Jesus may not be accurate. By the way, the text doesn't say any of this. This is all, well, from the imagination. Of Jason Mayer. Yeah, that's right. He's 
at this point, he's not preaching the biblical text. He's preaching his... Uh, which pastors are not called to do, by the way. He may not be very smart, but he doesn't dwell on that. And he says, Rabbi, I want to see. And then Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch you for a little bit here. I'm wondering if Jesus was just a little bit disappointed. Not, not in the sense that he wasn't going to heal Bartimaeus. Because- um. Where in the text does it say that Jesus was disappointed? He said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Nothing in verse 52 or 51 indicate that Jesus may have been a little bit disappointed in blind Bartimaeus. I mean, you're completely mangling the story with your imagination. Because I think he's... He was just pleased that Bartimaeus had the faith enough to just go beyond and and step out there blindly. And and obviously Jesus healed him. But I wonder if there was a part of Jesus that was just a little bit disappointed. Yeah, see, I I wonder if there was just not a part of Jesus where he was just glowing with complete delight. But see, then again, my imagination and your imagination are canceling each other out. So maybe we should just put the imaginations away and preach the text. And thinking that, wow, I wonder if Bartimaeus could have reached beyond his current circumstances. Yeah, see, I, I wonder if blind Bartimaeus, you know, if if really he was wearing the wrong clothes. And, you know, and maybe I'm wondering, maybe my imagination says that, you know, because he was blind and he lived 2,000 years ago, that maybe he didn't have the best dental hygiene skills. And maybe he, maybe on top of being, you know, healed from his blindness he also needed some you know some dental work and you know why didn't he think of asking jesus for some new teeth and i wonder if jesus was in front of each of you what would you say if jesus asked what do you want me to do for you and i wonder if some of us would be looking at our current circumstances and that's as far as we're willing to go in our imagination, in our dreaming, is based on our current circumstances. Huh? Because I'll tell you what. I know some of our circumstances are tough. And then I think there's some of us probably sitting here that are saying, you know what, Jesus? I would just love to see shapes. I've been running into trees for a long time. And if you could just show me some shadows of trees, I could then not run into them. And that would be great. And that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, this is absolute insanity. That's what would be pleasing to me. I, I bet some of us would be like, hey, Jesus, if you could just give me vision in one eye, that would, that would be super. I'd be excited. I don't mind wearing a patch. Pirates of the Caribbean kind of made it cool for people to wear patches. Not really, but I, I'd actually like a patch. What is he talking about? Oh. But Bartimaeus at least, at least Bartimaeus reached for vision in both eyes. Oh, we, yeah. We, whew, yeah. You know, at, thank God he had enough faith to, you know, I, I want to see. And by that, he meant I, not just out of one eye, Jesus. I, I'm really, I got to make it clear. I'm, I'm expecting vision out of both. 
Duh. But I do wonder if Jesus was a little disappointed. Yeah, you have to wonder about that, don't you? Yeah, because your imagination is running wild rather than being bound by the text. No need to wonder because it doesn't say. And I wonder what would have happened if Bartimaeus would have said, Lord, I want to cure blindness. Oh, no. I mean, I I never thought of that. I mean... In light of that question, I mean, I can only come to the conclusion that blind Bartimaeus was the biggest selfish jerk that there ever was. I mean, here he is a blind person and he comes to Jesus and the only person he thinks about is himself. I want to see Lord. And and for years, and in fact, for two millennia, Christians have been celebrating this story as if it's a victorious miracle of Jesus, you know, giving sight to a blind guy, and now I all of a sudden, because of Jason's imagination, I've come to realize, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Blind Bartimaeus just didn't have a great enough imagination. And as a result of his selfish, myopic blindness, he didn't ask the question that would have changed the world. Blind Bartimaeus had the opportunity to ask Jesus for the cure for blindness for everybody, and he only selfishly prayed for himself. Because <sighs> then he would have had his vision, and the buddies that I'm sure were also blind sitting next to him on the road. I mean, imagine what would have happened if, uh, you know, the disciples had asked Jesus for the cure for cancer. Why didn't they think of that? Would have had their vision, but it would have been something bigger than his current circumstances. And I wonder if what we're going through now, if our, if our dreams, if our imagination are just set in our current circumstances. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to spark our imagination and there's a lot of things that'll spark our imagination yeah this guy's good at this i mean if you if you want to learn how to spark your imagination please by all means talk to jason Mayer. but don't go to him when it comes to understanding what the bible teaches but i'm just going to touch on four things that i think are important because they connect to me and since i have the mic and right now it's going to be the most important things but uh the four things that I want to I want to cover, and the first one is is curiosity, because you're asking yourself, okay, we know imagination fuels dreams, that's that's great, but what sparks imagination? And I, I think the first thing is curiosity. When I was a a, a boy, um, which of the disciples taught about this? The important steps for sparking curiosity. Which of the historic Christian creeds is this in? Boy, I had a BB gun, and uh, I think a boy with a BB gun defines curiosity. And so I would spend my days out in the yard shooting things. Uh, note: I did shoot my brother once, uh, but don't feel bad for my brother because I got the worst end of that. He was six years older than me, and believe me, I got the worst end of that. But I was walking around shooting, and here's here's something: my dad had a 1972 Chevy pickup. And on the Chevy pickup, there's the tailgate that comes down, and then there's the bed of the truck. And at that point, there's a little gap between the tailgate 
and the bed of the truck. I'm sure the engineer said, ah, it'll be good. Water can run out and all this. Well, here's an interesting thing. Did you know that that gap between the tailgate and the bed of the truck is enough for you to put your, the barrel of your gun in? And did you know when you fire that gun that a BB will ricochet off the bed of the truck? And did you know that if it hits your dad's truck back window right in the middle, it'll shatter the whole window? And did you know that you can be 100 yards away in the brush and still hear your dad's voice clear as day? Oh, this is just relevant and useful information. Thank you for sharing this. I had no idea. So my dad calls me up. He says, hey, come here. And he gets down to the truck and he says, hey, I was noticing this gap between the tailgate and the bed of the truck. And I think we should use our imagination to figure out how we can prevent BBs from going in there. And do you know who's responsible for the design on the tailgates of the new trucks? Not me. I got a spanking and my dad never did that. In fact, I actually was crying before I actually reached the truck because I knew I was going to get a spanking. But I have to imagine that the engineers at Ford and Chevy probably all have sons with BB guns. And that prompted them to create a new design for tailgates. But on a more serious note, I wonder if God wants our curiosity to be about the things that break his heart. Yeah, I have to wonder about that, too. Yeah, I'll just have to chalk that up to stuff that ain't revealed in God's Word. So let me wonder. Okay, done wondering. Yeah, I'm not going to spend another thought on it unless it's revealed in God's Word. I just don't need to wonder about it. I wonder if God wants us to be curious about why so many marriages are breaking up. I wonder if God wants us to be curious uh, there's no need for curiosity and or imagination on that topic. Why? Because the answer is given in the Bible. It's called sin. You've heard of it? S-I-N. Yes. Missing the mark, trespassing against God's uh, commandments, things of that nature. Yeah. That were dead in trespasses and sin, sinful by nature. No need to wonder. No imagination necessary. God's word actually spells out the answer to that wondering in clear and uncertain, uh, unambiguous, sorry, unambiguous terms. About why there's a growing drug problem amongst young people. I wonder if God wants us to be curious about why there's still slavery in the world, why there's a lot of young girls that are being forced into prostitution. And I think some of us probably saying, oh, I don't, I don't. You know, I wonder why God tolerates uh, guys who teach false doctrine and twist his word like you do. I don't have the imagination for that. But the thing is, God has that imagination. And God wants us to tap into his imagination. Really, God wants us to tap into his imagination. And where does it say that in the Bible, Jason? Or did you just imagine that God said that somewhere in his word, somewhere? To then feed that curiosity and to do something that we never thought we could do before. And it really begins by being curious about things that we know probably break God's heart. And they should be the same things that break our heart as well. You mean like false doctrine? Yeah. Uh The second thing is uh, unwanted circumstances. And uh, just to set the stage a little bit, 
on this. Uh, we all have kind of went through unwanted circumstances in our life, but we have to make decisions on what we're going to do with those unwanted circumstances. And I was born with a congenital heart defect. And basically what that means is uh, it's just a, a birth defect in your, in your heart. And it was a valve thing. And a lot of times they just watch that. Doctors watch it. And you can go through your life and not have anything that, that happens um, and just live a normal life. But every once in a while, there's a case that comes up and the doctors say, well, I think we probably need to replace it. It's uh, getting it's getting to the point where it, it's probably damaging to the heart or whatever and, or before that. So they, they thought, well, we should probably replace it. So three years ago, uh, my wife and I made the decision, okay, we should probably do that. So I go up and I get surgery and and uh, everything seemed to go well. And the surgeon, I'm, I'm home. And I'm home for about two weeks. Actually, it was exactly two weeks. And uh, I just wasn't recovering very fast. And doctors were like, oh, I don't know. You're just, you're fine. And um, but I wasn't recovering very fast, and, and just things didn't seem right. And one night, um, it was kind of early morning, but middle of the night, my, my wife kind of woke up in the middle of the night, and she heard me making some weird noises. She thought, well, that's... Were you using your imagination while making the noises? It's just strange. And she tried to wake me up, and she got me somewhat coherent, and uh, she says, what, what's going on? And apparently it was just I was really cold and shoulders achy and just, you know, just I was hurting real bad, couldn't breathe very well. And uh, so I said, oh, just give me some, give me some pain pills and, and some blankets, and I'll go back to sleep. And so she did that, and she lay down. But then it's funny, we were talking just the other night, and then she kind of, you know, was thinking back on it too. And she says, I really feel like it was the Holy Spirit that just, just woke me up. It just said, you need, you need to get up. And so she got up and she tried to get me even more awake. And I was kind of, and she said, no, something's not right here. And so she decided to call 911. Paramedics come, they bring me to the hospital. And so they get me to the hospital. And, and just to set a, set a stage on how serious it was, um, normally I, I, don't, I don't think the chaplain is there, but uh, when you break an arm and go to the emergency room. So my wife shows up at the hospital and the chaplain and my dad meet my wife at the door. So chances are it's probably pretty serious. And so she comes in, and what happened was they ended up opening me up. They had to rush me in, and uh, all the stitches, well, not all the stitches, but a lot of the stitches had come open in, in my chest. And so basically what I was doing, it was just letting blood just flow in my, in my chest. So when they opened me up, there was a liter of blood that was just pumping in there. So basically I was bleeding eter- internally, um, and, which isn't good. So... Yeah, it's, you're not going to last that long. I can imagine that that's terrible. I was, I was joking with somebody the other day. I said, well, they go, well, what's it like? I said, it's kind of like a cowboy movie, you know? You're, you know, like cowboy movies, you're like, oh, I'm just all, I'm all cold. And, you know, and they give their last words. So it's just like a cowboy movie, except there was no cowboys or guns, and, and we weren't in the West and all that. But it was kind of like that, you know? Um, but, uh, but what happened was is there was an infection in there, and then the stitches came undone. But, uh, and here's a, here's a picture of when I got home. This is actually a picture of, of two weeks um, after I got home. Those, I'm not really cut. Those are just ribs, um, in case you guys were wondering. But uh, that patch on me, that's, I was hooked up to an IV uh, when I got home. And for about eight hours a day, I had to hook up to an IV machine um, and just sit there for a month, um, just getting stuff pumped into me to try and prevent anything else from happening. But it was, it was that unwanted circumstances. I'd sit in my chair at home, and God really had some quality time with me. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't really even play with my kids. I had to sit in that chair all the time. But God had some quality time with me. And you know what? I didn't sit back imagining, boy, if I had a better-paying job, I could really drive a sweet car. 
I didn't, I didn't spend time doing that. I didn't spend time thinking, wow, I, I'm going to solve global warming. I have some time. I can do that. So how did you use your imagination? Because, I mean, you did kind of impugn blind Bartimaeus. I mean, for not a- I mean, really, he was selfish by not asking Jesus to give him the cure for blindness, but only asking to cure his blindness. So, I mean, what, what big things were you using your imaginations to do then? Please tell us. Jason, O spiritual one, who sees things in Scripture that are not there. I want to, oh, boy, when I get done with this, I'm going to go hijack a whaling vessel. I never, I didn't think about stuff like that. If you're thinking about a whaling vessel, it's pretty dangerous. I saw that on OPB. But I didn't think about stuff like that. I thought about, boy, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? How can I actually impact people's lives that are around me so they can be better people? I didn't, I didn't think about any of the other stuff that you think about now, but I used those unwanted circumstances in the time that I was hooked up to an IV machine to spend time with God and to say, God, let me have your imagination for a second. Let me imagine my life a little differently. And what that did is it changed my dreams that I had. I didn't have dreams of working my way up the corporate ladder anymore. And not that that's bad, but it's just God has different dreams for different people. And if you want some people to work up the corporate ladder to get to something bigger, to then do something big, bigger for him, then that's, that's great. But what he had for me was just something really simple and said, I need you to slow down. I need you to be a better husband. I need you to be a better father. And I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't have been rushed to the emergency room bleeding eternally, internally. The, uh, the third thing is surround yourself with people that can spark your imagination. When I'm in a funk, I like to hang out with friends or family that I know can spark my imagination. And who better than my kids? So when I'm in a funk, I will, I'll go and get with my kids and, and we'll do something kind of crazy and it just helps my imagination flow. Here's something that I do with my kids and we watch to help spark both of us. And you guys will really enjoy this, maybe. You are kidding me, right? You are recommending people watch whatever this is to help spark your imagination? And you... What? This song sounds like it was created in the bowels of hell. I cannot believe he's playing this in church. I, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, you know, you you do this job long enough, and you you think that there's nothing that will shock you, (laughs) that there's nothing left that the church can do that will make your jaw hit the floor, and you hang your head in shame and want to stop and pray for these people. Unbelievable. I... (laughs) 
I am losing my mind. I, 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 I've just come to the conclusion that God must seriously be judging the folks there at Westside Church by, you know, by giving them a preacher who doesn't even know God's word. I mean, he's opened the book and he isn't teaching nothing that God's word has said. And now he's recommending this gummy bear video as a means of, you know, helping to, you know, get the imagination rolling. Yeah, wow. We, we got to stop it there in case some of you have an addiction to gummy bears. That one may have caused you to stumble there. Hey, and don't write on comic cards, I can't believe you showed a gummy bear in his underwear in church. Because normally gummy bears are naked, so you guys should be thankful that he's at least wearing his underwear. But my kids and I will watch that, and we'll sing, and we'll, we'll just kind of we'll do the gummy bear dance around the house. And we just have a great time. And I notice when I walk out of that time... I'm no longer in a funk, and my imagination has been freed, and I'm just like, wow, this is releasing. Why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't God allow us to have this video sooner so that the whole world can be set free to imagine because of the great gummy bear in your underwear video? But instead, I would have sat around for six hours moping and just dwelling in my, my mood. When I could have just stepped in with my kids into their world, into their imagination for a second and freed myself up. And I think that's what the church needs to be. Because here's the problem what's, that's going to happen with the church. If the church is all about just helping people with their hurts, that's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, we got to stop, you know, stop focusing in on sin and people's hurts. People have imagination problems too. And God is the one who can... Get the credit for that great gummy bear in your underwear video. Always going to compete with the world. Because, see, the world can also help people with their hurts. There's things called drugs. There's pornography. There's a bunch of things. that can, And, and people, for moments, think that that helped them sometimes with their hurts. So the church, if the church is just about helping people with their hurts, uh, we're going to struggle. But it is important. We need to help people with their hurts. But the church also needs to be kind of gummy bear videos for people. <laughs> I just, what? I, I know that sounds silly. Yeah, that's, that's one word I'd use. But the church needs to be a place that, hey, you come to, you're hurting. But we want to take care of the hurts. But we also want to help you dream again. We want to free your imagination. We want Yeah, we, we need to help you dream again and free your imagination. Yeah, this is... Wow. We're sorry. The number that you have been trying to reach has been disconnected and is no longer in service. Please try again later. I want you to see the potential in your life that God sees and that God created you to have. And that's the church that I want to be part of. Not, not the building... People don't walk in the doors of Westside Church. Man, I just came through the door and I got this dream. It's not what happens. It's they have to connect with the people, the church. And I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that church that people walk in and you get their hurts taken care of. And then you help them see something bigger than what they see. And you help them achieve that. And I want to be that outside of myself as well. And sometimes that's a struggle, but I think that's something that we all need to be working on. The last thing is, uh, is just to love people. And, and not love people like, oh, I love my wife, I love my friends. I mean, that's, that's easy. But I'm talking about loving people that you don't know 
and will get you absolutely nothing. And that's tough, I think, sometimes. for people. Yeah, this falls into the category of love your neighbor. This is law. This is not the gospel. Apparently the gospel, I don't think we're going to be getting a gospel nugget at this point. I have no idea how you would weave in Christ's death on the cross here. Yeah, no clue. People. But if, I guess I can, if he, he can use his imagination and figure out how to pull the two together. I used to work in a, a publishing uh, company and with acquisitions and stuff, and we were at a conference in Denver, and I had some, uh, uh, I was out to dinner with some, an author and some colleagues, and this author had wrote a book because he had lived on the streets for a year as a homeless person, and he did that just because he wanted to see, hey, what, what was it like to be a homeless person, and uh, what, how does the church treat homeless people? And so he wanted to experience that, so we're all out eating dinner. Is that these, one of these restaurants that just give you a lot of food? And so afterwards, you know, we're kind of done. When I'm on a business trip, I'm not thinking, hey, box this stuff up. I'm going to eat this on the plane ride home. You're just like, hey, take, take it away. We're good. We'll just pay the bill. But after that meal, Mike, the author, says, hey, guys, let's just box this up. There's a lot of homeless people outside. Let's just box it up and let's take it out to them. I'm thinking, well, that's obviously a great, a great answer. So we, we box it all up and we walk outside. And in this place in Denver, I don't know if you've been to Denver, there's this outdoor mall area by the convention center and there's a lot of nice restaurants and stores and all that. But then there's homeless people that are just down in that area. And so we walk out of there and the guys I'm with and Mike and they all walk, they find a homeless person right away. They just reach down, hey, here, have some, have some food. And they'll say, oh, thanks, man. And, and they eat it. But I felt like God wasn't releasing me to do that. And so we're walking down this, this way down to my hotel room. And I was almost at the corner where my hotel was. And, and there off on, on the side of the road was this homeless guy. And he was sitting down. And, and, and I say homeless, but this guy, I, I, I kid you not, this was the, the homeless guy that even the homeless people didn't hang out with. Because if you walk downtown, there's like homeless people were in groups of people. And, they, and, you know, there's kind of safety in numbers in that sense. And so they're in these groups. But this guy was all by himself. And he was sitting down on the ground talking to himself. And you knew that he was just a guy that nobody wanted to hang out with. And it was at that moment, I just, I felt God saying, that's, that's the one you're supposed to go give this to. And so I walk up and, and he's kind of sitting on the ground and, and he's kind of just talking to himself and just real, real dirty. And, and I, I, I went down and I just, I kind of got down to him and I said, Hey, do you want, do you want my food? And all of a sudden he just stopped talking and he just looked up. And he smiled at me. And I, and I just handed him my food. And I walked away. I didn't, I didn't do the God blessing, not that that was a bad thing. I just, I just handed him my food and I walked away. It was at that moment I felt probably the same way that Bartimaeus felt when he just got that shot in the heart that just sparked him again. Because I started walking away thinking, wow, what if everybody boxed up their leftovers and on the way to their car gave it to a homeless person? What you know, the story of blind Bartimaeus is about Jesus having mercy on blind Bartimaeus and his faith uh, making him well. Um, hello, uh, can we talk about how that could apply to everybody, whether they're homeless or not? What Jesus has done is the important part of what it, it, the story of blind Bartimaeus. What did blind Bartimaeus bring to the table? His blindness, his need for mercy. It was... Uh, what if everybody just did something simple... For somebody they didn't know, and we're going to get absolutely nothing out of. And it just started sparking my imagination. And it was amazing. And, and thinking about it now, I'm wondering if, if that guy on the ground, 
if for, for just a split second, maybe hopefully even longer, you thought, wow, somebody noticed me. Somebody smiled at me. And maybe that was even stronger than the food. And the food probably helped feed him. But just the ability of somebody getting down on his level and smiling at him and giving him something and not expecting anything in return. I wonder if... At, Imagine if you had thought more about than just feeding him. Maybe you should have found him a job. Maybe for a split second he thought, wow, maybe I am somebody. Maybe I'm not a dirty homeless person that not even the homeless people want to hang out with. Maybe I'm really not by myself. Maybe somebody actually does notice me. And I wonder what would happen if everybody coming out of a restaurant in that area was handing out their leftover foods and maybe he got three or four times a day somebody smiled at him. I wonder if his circumstances would be different today. So I just think that we need to, we need to do that. We need to love on people. And so I want to leave you guys with this challenge today. I want to challenge you this week to ask God to fuel your dreams. Oh, good night. <sighs> Jesus told us to, told the church to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Have you heard either here? Apparently, we've got a challenge now to, you know, ask God to fuel our dreams and our imaginations. And uh, we have an example of this where in the Bible. Again, the, the story of blind Bartimaeus doesn't teach any of this, unless, of course, you use the imaginative text that isn't there, uh, found in the brain of Jason Meyer. I want you to, this week, to ask God to spark your imagination to renew it. I want you to ask God to show you things that break his heart that he wants you to be curious about. Yeah, you know, like false doctrine, how that breaks God's heart. Bible twisting and eisegesis, how that breaks the heart of God. I want you to look through some of your tough circumstances and say, God, can you, could you show me what you want me to see here? Can I, can I open up my mind a little bit in this and, and maybe look beyond what's happening right now? And is this time that you just want to spend with me to show me something? If I could just stop feeling sorry for myself and just start getting closer to you? I know it's tough. I want you to surround yourself this week with people that can spark your imagination. And if your imagination's already going, you feel like God's really working through your life, then... Uh, then maybe you need to connect with somebody around you and help spark their imagination. And lastly, I want you to do something this week. I want you to love on somebody that you don't know and will get absolutely nothing out of. And don't get crazy on this one. I don't want you driving home late at night and you see this guy carrying a chainsaw on the side of the road. You're like, wow, that's, that's a heavy chainsaw. Maybe we should give that guy a ride. And then your, your wife says, yeah, and he must be sad because he's wearing a hockey mask. Uh, don't, don't do that. Just do something simple, something small that you're not going to get anything out of. So I just want to pray for you guys this morning before we... Uh... Done. You don't get to pray for us. No way, Jose. I don't want whatever is in your imagination rubbing off on me or the rest of our listeners. Good night, folks. Um, we're not called to preach our imaginations. Pastors are not called to have imaginations like this, and this is not the thing that pastors are supposed to be doing. They're called to faithfully proclaim sound biblical doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it, to publicly read and teach God's Word and what it really means, 
And if you don't do that, if you don't properly handle God's word, you end up misleading and deceiving people. And ultimately, this sermon was a form of deception. Why? Because he eisegeted. He stuck things into the passage that were not there, rather than really reading out what was really written there for our edification, for our building up, for our faith. And, I mean, the story itself lends it to that great, wonderful, primary focus of scriptures, Christ's death on the cross for our sins. What was the prayer of blind Bartimaeus, son of David? Have mercy on me. That should be our prayer. The story of blind Bartimaeus reminds us that we're all blind spiritually. All of us in need of the mercy of Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of God, King of kings and Lord of, and Lord of lords, who died on the cross for all of our sins and propitiated God's wrath and calls us to daily repent and be forgiven. Let that be our prayer, not anything to do with imagination, but looking into the mirror of God's law and realizing that daily we come short. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves, and we don't love God with all of our heart, and we are in need of the mercy of the Son of David. Son of David, have mercy on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute to our work, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? You can email me your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.